0: Thank you. Morning, everyone. I'm speaking on prayer, so I should probably pray. Let me just do a brief one. Father, I pray for clarity of thought, clarity of expression, clarity of understanding. Lord, may every word that is of you you take root, and every every word that isn't, uh, not in Jesus' name. Can I be brutally honest with you? I have struggled my entire Christian walk, which spans many years, um, with developing a, a regular prayer life. It's, it's actually not something that, that has been easy for me. It's, it's easy to, to just pray during the day, pray without seizing, Paul says, but to have a devoted prayer time I find quite difficult. And there are a number of reasons for that. The first is that... Um, Sometimes you kind of wonder whether God is listening. Am I the only one who's experienced that? No, you can't. Not the only one. Good. Uh, Because sometimes it feels like the words are just falling into an abyss, and you think, like, what's happening? And and part of that, I think, is is uh, that in prayer we come face to face with the fact that sometimes our prayers haven't been answered. So there's there's an element of disappointment. And uh, let me be honest with you, I I find this most in areas where you've prayed for something specific and it hasn't happened. So for me, I've prayed, um, I'm asthmatic, and I really struggle with it sometimes, sometimes more than others. And I've prayed many times, I've had many people pray for me, for the healing of asthma, and it hasn't gone away. I still have it. But I've also prayed for other people to be healed, and I've seen them healed miraculously of some crazy stuff cancerous tumors Um, I've seen a knee reconstructed in front of me so so God can answer prayer and God can heal so what's with that so disappointment can be an issue let me say to you if you've been praying for something for a year two years five years 10 years 40 years keep doing it because underlying it is is the idea that we can't understand all of God um, all the time so keep at it God is good how, why else would prayer be difficult? Well, the second is distraction. I feel like my, my brain has 30 tabs open at any given time, and you can run down any one of them, and if I close my eyes, it's over. You, you know what I'm saying? And, and it, it takes a great deal of effort sometimes to focus and, 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 and think of what God is doing and what we're bringing to God and destruction can be a great enemy. And nowhere is that more apparent than when you close your eyes to pray and the sweet, inky blackness of sleep starts sucking you in. Now, I struggle to sleep. So, so that's actually a really cool feeling. But it's, it's a hindrance to prayer. And I've often wondered why that is. And I think it, it's for two reasons. Your enemy and your flesh, that is your carnal nature, doesn't want you to pray. Because when we pray, that thing dies. So, so there will be every distraction you can possibly imagine and your own self. And, and more about that when we talk about baptism for two minutes, a little bit later as well. Um, resists prayer. So what then do we do about this? Why pray at all? Another imposition or another challenge to prayer is intellectual. If God knows what we need of long before we ask, and the Bible says that he does, why bother praying at all? Shouldn't we just, as one philosopher said, uh, turn our, our, our heart towards good and hope for the best? I'm paraphrasing, but that was the heart of what he was saying. Why do we pray? Well, there are a number of reasons for it. The first is, Soren Kierkegaard, um, a, a Christian theologian, said, prayer doesn't change God, but it changes us. Prayer is the channel that God has chosen as the means by which we engage with Him. It's the primary means by which we engage with Him. Prayer does something. Prayer is, I think, the most fundamental expression of faith. When you close your eyes and you pray to a divine being you cannot see, that is faith. It's a profound thing. It it really is quite a a mind-bending thought that when we pray... The God who spoke the universe into being pauses and inclines his ear to us. There's a a word, I think it's in Isaiah, where it speaks of God and says that, that God stoops. He leans down to listen. Well, you may say, over 7 billion people in the earth at any given time at the moment, and increasing all the time, how can God have time to listen to each of us? Practically, how would that work? God is not bound by time. Time is not linear; it's it's a construct outside of which God operates. So when we speak to God, we have His undivided attention. I've often thought about that. Like, isn't it crazy that the one who spoke and the universe was stops to listen to us? The Bible says that's true. Um, uh, Tim Keller says that the only one who can wake up a king at 3 a.m. and ask for water is a child. We have that kind of access. So the Bible describes God as the one who never slumbers or sleeps. And the reason that he's described in those terms is because we have constant 24 hour access to him, which is an incredible privilege. In prayer, we realign our hearts with God by forgiving others and seeking forgiveness for our sins. Prayer is so vital that even Jesus, who strode the earth as both God and man, prioritized it. If you read the Gospels, you'll see that there are times that he goes away without the, without the disciples, often very early in the morning, to go and pray. When he faces the cross, his, the first thing he does is is, is go to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. I'm going to comment more on that in a little moment. So if Jesus prioritised prayer and he was God, it's something that we should prioritise too. Corrie ten Boom, a, uh, a Dutch Christian in the Second World War and, and years subsequent said, asks this question of her congregation. She asked, do we regard prayer as the steering wheel Or is the spare tire? Well, it should be both, but primarily a steering wheel. So how do we pray? Jesus taught his disciples to pray in what has become known as the Lord's Prayer. It's more accurately the disciples' prayer because he said this is how his disciples should pray. He says this. Matthew 6, verse 5 to 16. There we go. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, just underline that if you have a pen, and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they know, they think, that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you he ask before you ask him. Pray then that like this our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Um, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For, says Jesus, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also Forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So why pray? It's simply this. Prayer changes everything. God hears our answers, and answer, God hears our prayers and answers them. Sometimes the answer is not what we want, and sometimes that's the greatest expression of God's mercy. I can think of many things that I've prayed for very earnestly, desiring that thing more than anything, and looking back years later and being quite relieved that I didn't get it. That's, that's probably more true in, in, relation, in the context of relationships than in other areas. By our prayers, we move to the hand of God to intervene in our lives and in the lives of others. Our prayers are instruments for healing. By prayer, we overcome the strategies of the evil one and advance the kingdom of God on earth. Ephesians 6 verse 12 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's, that's a crazy scripture. If you think what it actually means, it means when we pray, we're, we're locking horns with rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, that sounds quite esoteric. How can that possibly be? Well, it means this. When God speaks in heaven, things on earth change. When we speak on earth, things in heaven change. That's literally what that that scripture means. It means we have the power to transform what is happening in in the spiritual forces that we cannot see. Where is that most evident? That's most evident in corporate prayer. Um, In Matthew 18, verse 18 to 20. Jesus says, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two, or th- two of you agree on, e- on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. There's something about agreeing in prayer that is, is radically transformational and powerful at a level that praying on our own doesn't seem to achieve. I often wondered why that is. I think part of it is because when we come in agreement in prayer, we're, we're practically demonstrating that we're prepared to put our own stuff down for a minute and and transcend those things that separate us to pray in unity to a God who hears and who, who blesses and engages with the corporate reflection, so the I'm trying to simplify that. The, um, the reflection of a people who look like him. I'd love to spend more time on that. I just don't have time this morning. I'm going I'm to run along. Ian e. Barnes says, Prayers outlive the lives of those who utter them. Outlive a generation. Outlive an age. Outlive a world. How then do we Pray. Well, there can be no formula to prayer any more than there could be a formula to a conversation. But we do have something that helps us. And that is the, uh, the disciples' prayer, the Lord's prayer that we looked at earlier. I'm going to go through this and I'm going to just pop it up, please. I'm going to go through this very briefly and I, I'm going I'm to suggest that this is not something to be um, repeated as a rote. Who prayed this at school at every assembly? Did anything powerful ever happen? No. It, like, honestly, it's just boring. And the reason for that is because inasmuch as we seek God's presence in prayer, and we should, God seeks our presence in prayer. And we were not present when we were praying that stuff in, in assembly. We just weren't. Have you ever spoken to somebody who when you, when you engage with them, when you talk to them, they, you have their complete attention? You know what I'm talking about? Not everyone is like that. But, but that's the person you want to hang around with because it's so engaging and they, they're listening to what you're saying and, 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 and there's, there's an honest engagement at a level that is, that is totally profound. Rory Dyer's um, wife, Mel, Mel Dyer, is like that. If you speak to her, nobody else in the world exists for the duration of your conversation. And it, it, I actually love talking to her for that reason because you think, "Wow, someone's hearing." You yeah? um, know, <laughs> so so God, I think, seeks our presence as well. Not that he—that sounds counterintuitive. I think that God responds when we are fully present in our prayer to Him. When we present all of ourselves. Sometimes we say, "God, we want more of You. We want more of You," and that's true. But if if the if God gives the spirit without measure, that means all of God is available to us. I, I can look at that in more detail than Ephesians if you ever want me to. But God gives all of us, all of himself to us. The problem isn't more of him. It's more of us to him. Because there's stuff we hold back. Anyway, our Father who art in heaven. I'm going to use each of these lines, each of the, the verses as a heading for a prayer that covers everything you can think of. Our Father in Heaven. Well, that describes God in the most intimate terms of a father. I was um, in Israel, in Jerusalem once, sitting at, at the side of a pool outside of a hotel. And this little kid, it must have been three or four, came running past me shouting, Abba, 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 and jumped into the pool because he wanted his dad to watch him jump into the pool, as kids do. And I got it. I understood what the Bible meant when it said that we have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. He was shouting, Dad. He was saying, Dad, look at me, Dad, look at me, Dad, look at me. And I got it. Wow. See, the first thought in the disciples' prayer is one of, of unprecedented intimacy. When I think of my own children, with whom I've got a wonderful relationship, um, if, if they come to me and say, Dad, I want to talk to you about something, they have my undivided attention. Why? Because there's a degree of intimacy that comes from that. If this started... Eternal God, Yahweh. And it could have. Eternal God, Yahweh, in heaven, that degree of intimacy wouldn't have been the lens through which the rest of the prayer is read. So God chooses, and, and I think it's very deliberate, to, to bring us into a bond of intimacy right at the outset of the prayer. In heaven. Our Father in heaven. Well, that's, that's an expression of, that's where our, our family Reality resides. So we, we engage with a God who is Lord of, of all. This, this Father with whom we have access, this intimacy, is, the theologians call it, imminent. He is, he is close to us, even though he's in heaven, because God transcends time and space. Everyone following, if you have a question, jump in. Just stick your hand up, I'll answer it. Okay, cool. Hallowed be your name. That means holy and to be kept Holy. So that's an expression of what theologians call transcendence. That's a recognition that, that whilst we have this intimate bond with God and an intimate relationship with God through Jesus, there's something completely other about him. He is, he is holy in a, in a way that we cannot comprehend the side of eternity. And it's a recognition of that. So if you would pray, spend 10 minutes praying about how amazing it is that we have a father who can speak to us and who we're on intimate terms with, and how holy and, and, and majestic he is, that's 10 or 20 minutes gone, easy. Suddenly praying for an hour, not that that's the goal, but suddenly praying for, for an extended period is not daunting because actually we've got a structure to it. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That covers just about every prayer that you could ask about seeing God's reality, God's um, will, God's kindness, His mercy, His grace, His glory revealed on earth in our engagements with others, in circumstances that need his order and his rescuing. In all of those things, we can pray. So what I love about this is that God doesn't start with a shopping list. We start with a shopping list. God, this is what I need help with. He starts with intimacy, our Father. Give us this day our daily bread. well, God knows that we need stuff. We need food, we need shelter, we need vehicles. We need supplies to keep us living. He knows that. And forgive us our debts as we forgive those who forgive, uh, who have sinned against us or who, who owe us a debt. Does everyone agree that God's love is unconditional? Yeah? Quite easy. His forgiveness isn't. And and just in case you missed it, Jesus goes on a little bit later after the prayer to say, if you don't forgive others, my Father in heaven will not forgive you. Hectic, eh? And and there are many reasons for that. I don't have time to go through all of them. but, But the truth is, if we're not prepared to show the mercy and grace that God has given to us, to others, he will not extend that mercy and grace to us. That's how seriously he takes it. So forgiveness can be hard. I've had many discussions with people over the years who say, Raymond, I can't forgive that guy. What he did was terrible. I say, yeah, it really was. I'm not, forgiving somebody isn't saying that what they did is okay. You know, sometimes you, you, you apologize to somebody or someone apologizes to you. Your response is, it's okay. No, 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 it's not okay. What they did was wrong and hurtful and painful. Otherwise, you wouldn't have this issue. What it is is forgiven. That's very different from saying that it's okay or that what they did was justified or that what they did was not so bad. So the way that I do it practically, because this is an area I've struggled with at different times in my life, is I say, God, I ask that your mercy would flow through me to that person. I ask that your love and your kindness and your grace that you've given me, um, like water filling a vessel, and overflowing, overflow to that person. And then you lift that person up in front of God, and you say, I pray for blessing on that person. I pray that you would provide in every area that they need. I pray that you would heal their brokenness. I pray that you would draw them close to you. Once you start praying that kind of prayer about somebody who has done you in, suddenly forgiveness becomes easy. And why is that? It's because the heart of repentance metanoia is changing our mind. That's literally what it means. It means change your mind. And, and that means to think about stuff the way God thinks about stuff. That's very simply put. That's what repentance is. And so as we, we lift people who've hurt us, and we've all been hurt by people without exception, people who've hurt us, we lift them before God and God, pray for God's blessing on them, the God who causes his rain or his blessing to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous, when we start doing that, we start thinking like God does. So we can then understand at a, at, a, at a profound spiritual level why it is that Jesus said to those who are crucifying him, Father forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Because the people who are hurting us are broken and they don't have any comprehension of the extent of the pain that they cause us. And God wants to heal that. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is an expression of God's um, sovereign involvement in, in all of our lives. You have an area of struggle, pray here. Um, a friend of mine asked me the other day, What's the Afrikaans word for confidence? I said, Self-thrower. My, my Afrikaans accent's bad. Self-thrower. That's, the, the direct translation is trusting in yourself. So, so we think that confidence is the ability to trust in yourself. Actually, no. True confidence is the ability to trust that notwithstanding the fact that our own resources are limited, God's resources are not. The very heart of Jesus' ministry on earth was this one thought that we are not self-reliant. We are reliant on God for everything. And that's what we can pray under that. So if you go through each of those headings, I guarantee you will spend half an hour to an hour and a half in prayer. If you just let it all out. Obviously, the next couple of times you do it won't be so long. But it gives us a framework, a structure to pray. Is that the only way to pray? Absolutely not. You can pray throughout the day, praying without ceasing. Sometimes I think we miss, a, um, we miss an opportunity in our busy lives to, to experience God in his profound majesty because we never stop talking. One of the best ways to pray is to calm your heart and mind and let all the noise inside subside, and sometimes that takes a while, and to be silent because prayer is intended to be a dialogue. It's not one-way traffic. And if we're talking through our shopping list, we can't hear God. So sometimes prayer is just silent, meditation. Now the thing about silence, that it's very uncomfortable. We want to fill the silence, fill the void. with. Have you ever sat in a conversation with people and there's a lull in the conversation? And you can see people's eyes start twitching and they want to jump in with something, anything, weather, something, to fill the silence, yeah? God speaks in silence. And and nowhere is that more apparent when we're in profound pain and don't have the words to express it. Um, someone wise once said that God whispers to us in our uh, in our plenty, but He screams to us in our pain. And I think that that's true. I think that that sometimes we need to just be silent and let God work in our hearts and do something profound in it. Sometimes um, we don't have the words, and it's just it's just in our full presence, laying bare our heart before God. Whatever that looks like. And and let me tell you, God is not afraid, I almost said is scared. God is not afraid of our honesty. If you read Psalms, about 67% of it is a lament. It's David, the one who God called friend, that guy, complaining about something. God doesn't seem to mind. In fact, he recorded in the Bible. Ultimately, um, David comes to the point where he he realigns his heart with God and and he he praises him. But, But Psalms is a great example of how it is that when we present ourselves to God with the stuff that's really difficult, he's okay with that. And and a lot of the, the a lot of the Psalms, and I'm not I'm not suggesting that you go and moan at God now, but a lot of the Psalms is actually a complaint against God. He says, I don't understand. I'm serving you, I'm doing everything I can, and look at my enemies are succeeding. Um, but ultimately God God rescues him and brings him back to, to reality. So God is not scared of our honesty. On that thought, I was thinking recently about the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember Jesus about to be crucified. He's told his disciples, come pray with me, and they keep falling asleep. And so I'm not alone in this. Um, and, and in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he becomes so overwhelmed in prayer with the struggle of, of submitting his will to the will of God that he sweats drops of blood, which is actual, an actual medical condition. It comes about from profound trauma and distress. So he's, he's sweating actual drops of blood and yet when he comes in front of Pilate and when he's whipped and crucified and, and even in his dying moments, he's completely calm. See, Jesus' wrestle wasn't the right place because he spent the time in prayer and got that thing sorted out there, he could face the other stuff with calmness and complete control. And I think that is true for us as well. So prayer. Prayer is an invitation by God for us to get real with him. Not to, um, not to fake it, but to be truly honest, to present our true selves to the true God so that he can truly do something profound in us. Um, I, I have a friend, a Muslim friend I go fishing with occasionally. And when we get in the car, he, he presses a button and a traveling prayer gets recited. So he doesn't have to say anything, just rolls. And, and I've often thought, that is so lame. <laughs> it's just so lame because where's the reality in that? It, it reminds me of when I was in, in uh, assembly just reciting the, the Lord's Prayer. So, in summary then I think that if we could present God with our presence when we pray we'll see amazing stuff happening absolutely amazing stuff happening okay I kept today short because we are doing baptism on baptism I want to share one thought with you you know baptism is described in the Bible as sharing in Christ's death it's a symbol of dying as we go under the water and rising up a new living being as, as Jesus died and, and was resurrected. But uh, Rory Dyer, my mate, says, the thing about baptism is the first thing we do is we take out our cell phone, take out our wallet, take out our car keys, then we get baptized, yeah, yeah, and watches. Take off the watches get baptized, get out of the water, dry yourself off, and pick all those things up again. It says, if we do baptism correctly, I'm not saying in the physical, but think about it in spiritual terms. God wants our money. He wants our travel arrangements. He wants our time and our possessions. Because if we exclude those things from the process of dying and coming to life again, we're not actually following him fully. And I mean, I must have heard that 15 years ago, and it just struck me. I, I, every time I see a baptism, I think of that. Anyway, that's me. Done? Okay. Cool.